Now that's a choir. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin today by entering into prayer together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We want to thank you, Father, that when Adam fell and the whole race became lost in our trespasses and sins, rather than leaving us there to go to the lake of fire, you decided you were going to send your son, Jesus Christ, that he would become flesh and he would go to the cross for us and die for our sins. And then three days later, you raised him from the dead so that whoever simply believes in your son will never perish, but has eternal life. Father, today as we gather together, we ask that you would have the Holy Spirit guide and direct us where we're here today, as well as through our lives. And we would pray here that we would uh, be uh, welcome recipients of your word this morning, that we would uh, be kind to one another and tenderhearted, and that we would also, Father, keep in prayer those who are having a very difficult time. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and worship with us. Good morning again, everybody. Welcome again to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. I want to wish every father here today a happy Father's Day. Also want to uh, remind everybody that every month we have a different missionary organization that we feature. And this month we've been featuring Village Ministries International. Their website is there, www.villageministries.org. By the way, you can also go on our website. And we have a section there for fellow ministries, and it's over there too, so you don't have to type this in, you can just go over there and click it, so it's a little faster. In any event, Village Ministries International, as I know many of you know, is a uh, non-denominational international ministry, and uh, they go to all places all over the world, and I know I've been telling you that for the last couple of weeks, so this morning what I'd like to do is just read a brief note from uh, one of the folks that have been touched, their lives have been touched, this person's name is Seth S. She lives in a small rural community, and one day a Christian came to her house and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Initially, she said, it was hard to believe and accept everything. But as time passed, she began to think about the words from the Bible that this man shared, and so she decided to attend the Sunday service. It's taught for herself that all I was told and taught about Christians was all lies. They are real, genuine people who've committed their lives to Jesus and his word. Now I've accepted the gospel for myself, I've believed in it and become a member of this church. And I've been there for the last five years and dedicated my life to the Lord. Thank you so much for the Bibles and the handbooks. I have determined that I will read and study the word of God daily so that I may grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. In 2018, Village Ministries International placed Bibles into the hands of more than 63,000 believers who did not formally have one. And our support is vital for this to be available to continue and support this work of the Lord. They are going to continue in 2019 to bring Bibles to believers. And we ask now that you just pray for them, the workers in the field, as they distribute Bibles this year in what are increasingly dangerous situations around the world. So again, www.villageministries.org. the church, we, we, every month when we're featuring an organization, we do give a donation to that missionary organization, but we encourage you to do as well, because part of the function of the church is to evangelize, and in particular, to go out through all the world and preach the gospel. And while all of us cannot do that ourselves, all of us can help and support the ones who do. All right. Um, by the way, we have Bibles in the back in case anyone needs one. We can have an usher bring one to you at this time. They're very good about that. Everybody needs a Bible, just raise your hand. If not, we'll continue. Oh, there's a hand. I feel like we're at an auction. <laughs> going once, going twice. Sold to the lady in the blue hat. All right, another reminder, too, is we have a, a prayer meeting each Thursday after our Bible study. We have a Bible study at 7. I'd say 7 to 8, but usually with all the discussion, it usually creeps into maybe 10 after 8, right, usually. So then we have a prayer meeting after that. And so I, we all encourage you to please submit your prayers. We welcome your requests. You can do that on our website, or we have a box in the foyer that you can also write it down and submit it to us. All right, the title of today's message is Glorify God in Your Body. Glorify God, there it is, in your body. I'd like you to turn at this time, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 9. 
we'll be ending chapter 6 today. And so we'll have a little bit of a wrap-up at the end to put it in perspective what we've seen in the chapter. In any event, to begin, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but he will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Today, again, we wrap things up in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Paul is now done dealing with the subject we saw last week, the subject of lawsuits against the brother. And now he must deal with immorality. In particular, men consorting with prostitutes. Now, the Corinthians, as we've seen many times already, and we'll see more of as we proceed through this letter, they were involved in some salacious and shocking sins. But let's not get carried away with that. This is what I mean. That's where our flesh really would like to go, if we're honest. Let's dive in and see all of this and think of all the horrible things people were doing and keep our, we'll keep our mind on that. But what does the Bible say about keeping our mind? Keeping our mind on Christ, the things above. That's right. So even though, sure, it would be tempting to go through these, the lists that we saw this morning one at a time and describe them in detail, the interesting thing is that Paul doesn't do that. He's, he's pre- presenting a list and, and, and he's saying these are all of a category. And I'm describing to you the kinds of behaviors that are out there among the unbelieving world. But remember, we saw, we saw at the end of chapter four, 5 that he said, look, we don't judge the people in the world. God does. Let me say that again. We don't judge the people in the world. God does. We are to, we are to watch out and take care of and uh, disassociate with so-called brothers and sisters in the church. That's important. Why? Because where does, where does God want us to go? We know where the flesh wants us to go. It's not, however, where God wants us to go. You see, we get fixated sometimes on the problems of this life, the problems of the Christian life, and hear the wickedness of certain behaviors. We take turns feeling guilty if we've been involved in them in the past and judging others if we haven't, depending on who's doing what at the time or in the past. We judge ourselves and others for our sins. But here's the thing I want you to think about. only reason we know about this list is because we're reading our Bibles. That's why. See, that was the problem with the Corinthians. They didn't know anything about what what God's Word had to say. Why do I say that? Because, let's be honest, the more we learn about God's standards for life, the more material we have, if we're not careful, with which to condemn ourselves and others. Let's be honest, we're not living up to the standard that God has put out in the Bible for us as Christians, right? Never seek your revenge in all things, you know, be kind to one another, right? Well, we're trying, we're working on it. Of course, we can't do it anyway without the power of the Holy Spirit and God's Word. So we're getting there. But in the meantime, we're human beings, and we, if we read into, in, in God's Word and we see certain standards and we know we're failing, 
What happens? Well, that's just one more thing we can take to condemn ourselves and other people. Does that sound like the kind of way of life that God wants us to have as his children? Of course not. You see, he wants us not to focus on the problems, but on the solutions. And let me say at the outset, he's happy that we even care about what his word says about these things. There's so many who don't care. He's happy when his children care. Go to the Bible. Learn what it has to say. Get convicted of it. Understand the ideals that he's listed out here for us and want them, even though we know that we're going to fail at times. That's what he's happy about. He wants us to learn more and more about his word. Because his word has all the solutions for everybody. If you're an unbeliever, his word has the gospel for you. If you're, if you're a baby believer, his word has the milk that you can grow on. As you mature, it's the solid meat. But, as, but I know I've been studying the Bible for quite a while now. And it does, the, the longer you're in the Bible, the more you learn. And honestly, the more sometimes you're convicted by certain things. You know, one time I forget the, the famous pastor's name, but somebody went up to him and said he was, he was maybe in his 80s. And they said to him, what was the toughest year of your life in the Lord? You know what he said? Last year. Why? Because we're all, you know, we don't arrive, and the more, the more we grow, the more tender our hearts are towards the things of the Lord. The more we, we are like, upset when we hear something in the Word, and we know we're not living that way. He wants us to agree with his ideals, to agree with them. Remember how Paul said, well, you may not remember, but in Paul said in chapter 7 of the book of Romans, he said, you know, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. Right? And he considered him to be a wretched person himself for that. And yet the very fact, he says, the very fact that my mind agrees with God's law, you know, shows you, and this is radical, right? It's not I who's doing it, but the sin which dwells in me. And friends, the sin which dwells in us is going to dwell in us until the day we die. And therefore, we'll never have it all licked. We'll wake up every morning and there'll be something that will tempt us, something that will discourage us. Something where we'll fall down again, because it's an area of weakness for us. But the key is to learn God's word and to understand his ideals for the human race and embrace them. And as we do so, we are changed. As we, as we learn more and more about God's way of thinking, our minds are renewed by the power of the Spirit. That's what he wants for us. He doesn't want us to live in the, in, the, in the awfulness of our sins. Sometimes he'll shock us with it. We're going to see that today. He'll shock us with it. Go on and know why? Because we'll, we think it's just, you know, harmless fun, some of these things we're involved in. And he says, no, it's not. I've got to wake you up. But once we're awake, then he goes right back. You know, there's that rhythm of the Christian way of life. Put, us, put away the old man, all the behaviors and attitudes that we had before we came to Christ. Have our minds renewed by the word of the God, word of God, and then put on the new man, right? Stop doing the bad, stop it, right? Then have your mind renewed, get back to thinking correctly, and then start doing the good. That's the heartbeat for a Christian. So keep that in mind today. Keep that always in mind. He wants us to agree with his ideals, even when we in fact, especially when we failed to meet them. And realizing that we'll continue to fall short at times. And that hurts. But that's the process. Because with the power of his word and the Holy Spirit, we will keep getting closer and closer to certain ideals. We just will. There'll be certain areas of sin that, especially as we go to God's word, again and again, if need be, we realize that I'm still living in but it's wrong. It's not the way God wants me to live. And with the Spirit inside and Christ in us and the Word of God dwelling in our hearts, there's going to be changes. We're going to find that, you know, we we lose our taste, if I could put it that way, for some of these things we used to dive into before we came to Christ. So more and more, what changes us? God's Word, the power of the Spirit. But I want you to notice, There's we talked about this last week. I tried to emphasize it when I read our passage today. There's this one expression that Paul uses six times in chapter 6. And it's this, do you not know? Do you, can you see how, it, what does it start with? Paul is getting all these reports of terrible, wicked behavior in Corinth, in the church. And what does he say? What was, what's his first remedy? Do you not know? You see, it's about you saying, they don't realize what, what they're doing. You know, like Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's essentially what Paul is saying here. You, by now, you ought to know better, but you don't. 
So you've got you to start and go into God's word and learn how he thinks about life. Learn how the Lord thinks about us. Learn the things that while we may just blow them off as nothing that bad, he has a different view of it. And we need to be woken up to his viewpoint. Do you not know? Because the fact is, Corinthians at this time in the church had no clue what God's word had to say about their behavior. No clue at all. They, they would just do it. Honestly, the thing that they took away from what, what they were hearing from Paul was freedom. We're free to do anything we want, right? We're going to see that Paul mimics them today in, a, in part of this passage. That's what they took away. They, they had no understanding that God's word had things to say about behavior and about how a child of God ought to behave, ought to live. And so he had to come back at them and say, don't you know these things? And then again, that's the first step for all of us. If we see certain behavior in our lives and we want it to not be there anymore, the first, well, the first thing is to stop. But then is to say, I've got to learn more. I, I've got to, I may have learned it even in the past, but I've got to come face to face with God's word has to say about that. Do you not know? And the Corinthians had no clue. They had no clue about what they were doing. All right? And even if some of the things they were doing would have been shocking, even to their unbelieving Gentile friends, they still didn't, they thought they had freedom. You know? Be careful about that. We do have freedom. But, but Paul says in the, in the letter of Galatians, don't use it to indulge your flesh. That's not why you have it. You know, use it to love one another. Use the, see that? Stop doing the bad. Listen to what Galatians has to say and start doing the good. So you better believe the fact that the Lord and Paul realized that they had no understanding. They did not know. The Lord had Paul say things in this letter, and especially, in, as we'll see in this chapter, in a very dramatic and graphic way. In order to show them exactly how far off they were. All right, so with that as an overview, let's walk through this last section of chapter 6 together. And at the end, we'll draw some conclusions. Let's start again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. You're probably already there. I don't think I've had you turn anywhere else. Do you not, see what does it lead off with? Do you not know? Do you not know? I mean, I suspect that if we were discovering these things about a, a, a church today, right? Maybe ours. I don't know that, like, we would, the first thing we would think of would be, don't you know? You know, we would think of some other things. You're horrible, you're wicked, God hates you now, you better go to him and confess your sins and repent. All of that would be first for us, let's be honest. Friend comes to you and he's in a certain area, wouldn't be likely if I'm to say, listen, you just have to learn some more things. But that's what God says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? By the way, that's the message he's trying to deliver here. And we'll see why in a second. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he goes with the list. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, those who love money, nor drunkards, like alcohol too much, nor revilers, talk down people, nor swindlers, people that are always looking to get it over on others, will inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to stop there. I want you to ask yourself a question. Can you find yourself even a little bit in any of those? If you're saying no, well then, you know, you're as holy as my mom. But, for the, but the fact of the matter is, is that we can. He's going to say exactly that in the next, next verse. In other words, we might say, I don't have a lifestyle of a thief. And no, you don't. But have you ever taken advantage of somebody monetarily? Then you fit. <laughs> You might say, well, I don't think I'm all that covetous. Well, have you ever desired something that was somebody else's and thought a little bit about how you might get it? There you are. You're right there in verse 10. You see, he's saying to us that these are categories that the natural mind, the natural-minded person, our flesh still gravitates toward, wants to be this way. And he says, after that, he says, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 11. Such, what's the next word? Were. I love, that is like one of the most gracious words in this whole letter. Because after all, we would be more tempted to say such are. See, we would still look at the faults and imperfections of our brothers and sisters and say, you're still like that, you'll never change. No, he understood the grace of God and what God had already done. 
had already done. After all, if he says in Romans 8 that, you know, those who he elected, he justified, that happened the moment you believe, and those whom he justified, he glorified. He, he, he made it certain that we one day will be completely in glory with the Lord, including our bodies. And so if he has the audacity to say that, don't you think that he's got a plan about how he's going to bring us from one to the next, to the next, to the next to get us there? Of course he does. Such were some of you. It's not the way the Lord sees us anymore. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were already justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Now again, the natural thing to do when we're reading that list in verses 9 and 10 is of course to take them one at a time and dwell on them and feel bad about them and then we feel bad about it enough ourselves and we'll look to our brother and say, well, he's worse than I am. Move on to the next one. And it's all, it all it, you know, it's like, oh, this is all depraved. Yes, of course it is. But we were born depraved. We had a depraved mind, you know, until the day we became believers in Jesus Christ and we still have the flesh in our bodies. So that, that behavior, that thinking, that guilt and judgment, that's not why God has them here. And one of the reasons we know that is that Paul doesn't talk about them at all in any kind of detail. He just runs the list through. And it's fairly obvious what he's talking about, but he doesn't dwell on them and go over each one and say, you know, Joe did that and Billy did that and all. He doesn't do that. As a matter of fact, when he gets through with that list, the one thing he really goes after is what? Consorting with prostitutes. Now we'll see why. Because he's teaching them something about their bodies when he does that. He spent the whole chapter on talking about incest, and you can understand why. But then again, at the beginning of chapter 6, he's talking about those who would take their brother to court. Especially a rich person taking a poor one to court. He spent 13 verses on that one thing. Here he gives a list of 10 in two verses and doesn't make any comment on them. That's not why. He tells us why, though. The Bible always tells us why. It's really simple. The unrighteous, the unrighteous unbelievers will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Well, because they, they, they are not believers in Christ. And they're going to, as, as the Bible talks about, they're going to remain in their sins. They're never going to be renewed. And therefore, they're not going to inherit. And the Corinthians, they didn't know yet either. And that's why they were still involved in all sorts of wickedness, many of them. But this is the upshot. This is what Paul says. He says, I I want you to know that unbelievers will not inherit the kingdom of God. So why would you ever go into the world to try to get any solutions at all? Remember he said that about the lawsuits. He said, why on earth would you ever take a brother to court and put them before the unrighteous unbelievers as if they had any wisdom to settle the dispute between you two? As a matter of fact, take the poorest, most insignificant believer in Christ and make that person the one who will judge your case. Why? Because that demonstrates that you understand who we are and how how we are set apart. That's what sanctified means. We're set apart from the world. All right. Unbelievers will not be saved. Is that a shocking statement, by the way? Unbelievers will not be saved? No. See, that's the point he's trying to make. No, instead of focusing and getting all upset about verses 9 and 10, honestly, we ought to focus on verse 11. And that's what we're going to do. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Such such were. I want you to get this emblazoned in your head. To understand what God did for you the moment you believed in Christ. Such were some of you. So if you have all kinds of bad memories and things about what you did, and the list we read today got you convicted about what you did in the past, especially before you became a believer in Christ, remember these gracious words. Such were some of you. That's how God looks at it. right? As far as the east is from the west, this is how far he has placed our transgressions away from us. Such were some of you. Say it with me. Good. That wasn't too good. Let's try it one more time. Good. It's talking about us this morning. Now, why aren't we that way any longer? Is it because, you know, we work so hard on ourselves? 
and we, we put through our, the program that we put ourselves through, and that we've turned ourselves into something better. No, it's what God did. God did something about you. You. Now, notice how this is said. It's, yeah, I don't say he did something about your sins. Of course he did. We know that. That's, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But also, he did something about you. He did something about me. And that's where we start. Always look at what did God do. Now, it starts again with the blood of Christ that he shed at Calvary. That's, what, that's where it started. That's where our sins were forgiven. We were redeemed. And on that basis, God did things to us. He did things to you and I by grace. We didn't earn it or deserve it. And through faith, all we had to do was hear good news and believe it. Like a child would hear good news and believe it. Dad's coming home. He's got a present for you. You think the child at that time went on to Amazon.com and figured they had to buy the gift themselves and hand it to Dad before he come home? I don't think so. They just believed it. Thinking about, gee, what might it be? Just like when we are reading, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Gee, I wonder what it might be. See, it's grace through faith. What did God do, by the way? When we look at a list of our own sins, the thing we should be asking is, what has God done about it? Find that out. Find out what God has done about it. Because when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he didn't leave you there. What? He made you alive. Now, if he's going to do that, when you were completely dead in your trespasses and sins, and he said, I will make you alive on the basis of the blood of my son, don't you think he can get you from where you are now, alive in Christ, to to move in the direction he wants you to get? You were dead. You couldn't move anywhere. Now you're alive. You have the Spirit in you. You have the Word of God available. You have Christ in you. And he says, I'm I'm going to continue to do something about it, about your areas of sin. He who began a good work in you will complete it. Not might. You see? I think we, we so, that's the problem with getting all wrapped up and worked up about what's wrong with us and what's wrong with other people. We're not making any progress in that. We're not, we're not getting back to the glories of who we are in Christ. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that's a promise from the, from the living and all-powerful God. Now, what does it say here in verse 11? It says, He's already washed us clean. He's already sanctified us. We've already been set apart forever. And He justified us. All in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit. Nothing to do with us. Grace. Please turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. We have been washed. We were washed. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. First John 1 John 1.7 But if we walk in the light, by the way, that means we're a believer in Christ and we have God's life, as He Himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. That's one of the gifts of becoming born again. We have fellowship with one another. We're members one of the other. We're members together in the body of Christ. And notice what else has happened. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from a few of our sins. Is that what it says? What does it say? All sin. Again, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. That's what Paul means in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, when he says, You were washed. <laughs> We've all been washed clean of all our sin by the blood of Jesus, God's Son. Because didn't we sing that this morning? All the efforts that we ever tried to make, all of that, anything by the work of my hands, could not atone for my sin. Never could. Never will. Never did. Nothing we can do tomorrow about the sins we commit tomorrow can ever wipe away any sin. Not any of the animal sacrifices that the nation of Israel provided to to make a covering, but not not to destroy their sins. All of that happened one day at the cross. And, and so when we believe in Christ, we're washed clean of all our sin by His blood. Please turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Go back a little bit to 2 Thessalonians. Because Paul writes in verse 11, Such were some of you, but you were washed. 
but you were sanctified. Notice, well, we're not in verse 11, but I'll read it to you. You were washed, you were sanctified. You were sanctified. You see, you see some second, second Thessalonians 2 is where we're headed. You see, sometimes with the area of sanctification, what do we tend to focus on? We tend to focus on the fact that, man, we are so far away from what God wants us to do, and we need to be sanctified. We, we need to have this stuff taken away, and we need to be, be living better and all of that. That's tend to what we think about when we hear that word. But here, he says, you were. In other words, you've already been sanctified. Already been sanctified. It always amazes me, in Romans 8, that he jumps when he says, you, those he uh, elected, he justified. And then it jumps from those he justified, he glorified. He jumps right over what we get all concerned about, sanctification. Well, how am I doing today? How am I doing? You know? Now, that's fine to be working, you know, to be getting lined up with God's ways. That's what we're supposed to do. But every once in a while, we've got to step back and look at the big picture and look at it from God's point of view. Look at it from his point of view. Look at the fact that when did he have intervention in your life for you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? When you were his enemy. When did Christ die on the cross for you? When the whole human race was his enemy. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so we ought to take God at his word that we've already been set apart forever. We already have. And that's what we read in 2 Thessalonians 2. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, That's a good way to start every day, by the way. Wake up and say, here's another day for me, the beloved of the Lord. And think about what you would do for the person or people in your life that are beloved to you. Wouldn't you do a lot? Wouldn't you be able to forgive a lot if somebody's beloved to you, a beloved child, a beloved wife, beloved friend? Of course you would. And yet God's perfect. And he's already declared that you're righteous in his eyes. So every morning we should wake up and say, I'm beloved by the Lord. I really, really am. I may not understand that today. I may be feeling the exact opposite. I may have a lot of work to do in my life, regardless of any of that, right? Neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will ever get between you and the love of God. Anyway, we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Why? Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. He knew in eternity past that you would believe in Christ and become one of his children. That's That's been a certain fact in God's eyes before the foundation of the world. Think about that. Think about how solid and secure our salvation is. Since God planned for it in eternity past. And he promised that he would take us from dead in our trespasses and sins to being glorified with Christ. That's his picture. He's chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this that he called you through our gospel. That's how you call through hearing the gospel. That you may gain the glory, notice, of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he chose this from the beginning. For salvation, through sanctification, being set apart by the Spirit, and it's faith in the truth that gets us that. It was for this he called you through our gospel. That's the mechanism. The gospel believed that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So next time you read a list like we read this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, yes, it's wrong. Yes, God's doing something about it. Yes, you'd adopt his ideals. But at the same time, you know, write it down, that one day you will gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see how that balances out all the areas of sin that we're still involved in? Not that we shouldn't. We should always realize they're wrong. But we should also realize that God has handed us a solution to it. And a lot of it is just to say, who am I? That was the problem with the Corinthians. They didn't know who they were. They didn't realize they were brothers and sisters together in the Lord. They didn't realize that one day they would judge angels. They didn't realize any of that. 
That's why they saw it fit to do all the wicked things they did. All right. We have been sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit. And now please turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3, 21. I would recommend very highly that you every month would read the book of Romans from chapter 1 to chapter 8. It'll get you anchored once again. I mean, that passage, as many of you know, that I just um, quoted about nothing gets between you and the love of God, that's how chapter 8 ends. And that whole, that whole first eight chapters starts with man in his wickedness and then drawing the conclusion that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's what we're going to see right here. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now apart from the law, remember the law is holy, but it cannot justify. It cannot sanctify. For the simple reason that our flesh cannot keep it. And God understood that. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the very righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, for all those who believe. I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about how righteous God is. How holy God is. How just God is. And think about the fact that this says that even though I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, through faith of Jesus Christ, He has credited to me the righteousness of God. His righteousness. And the same to you. The same to you. Now, of course, we're still involved in things that are sinful, but that doesn't change this. As a matter of fact, by getting oriented to this, and saying, despite all my wickedness, God already sees me and has credited to me his very righteousness. That's a motivation to live like that. It's a motivation to live like that. You were on the streets and you, you had nothing going in your life. And then all of a sudden, a Cadillac pulls up and put, takes you into the back seat. It says, you have now become, been adopted child of the richest person in the United States. Right? Don't you think that might change your behavior a little bit? I think so. As a matter of fact, you'd like to say, well, you know, now that I'm in this family, I better learn how to be, I like it. I better learn how to be a child of this person now that I've been adopted. The more you know about who you are in Christ, the less likely you're going to fall for the lusts of the flesh. That's God's way. Do you not know? Do you not know? Again, But now, verse 21, apart from the law and the righteousness of God has been manifested, been revealed. It's revealed at the cross of Jesus Christ, by the way, when he was willing to die so that there would be those whom his father could credit with his very righteousness. God created the human race. He created it to give glory to him. That wasn't happening at all by any member of the human race. And so Jesus Christ went to the cross to demonstrate that, yes, my father is righteous. He doesn't just wink at sin. But he had me go to the, Jesus Christ said, he had me go to the cross so that I would die for the sin of the world. So whoever simply believes in me has eternal life. That's the righteousness of God on display. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. All those who believe, simply believe. I have to emphasize this again and again, especially today, when there are so many lies out there about what do I got to do to be saved? You know, I got to do this, I got to do that. No, you know what you got to do? Nothing. You just have to hear good news and believe it. That's all you have to do. Why? Because the very righteousness of God is credited to you through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe. There's no distinction. We're all the same at the foot of the cross. Why? For all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we can only be justified as a gift. As a gift that we'd never be able to pay for. We'd never earn on our own. We're not worthy of. God knows all of that, and yet, through faith in Christ, He gives us the gift. He declares us righteous before His eyes forever, being justified as a gift by His grace. His grace. I know they don't deserve this. I love them. And I want to give it to them. 
His grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. The point is, all of us, anybody who's a believer in Christ, we've already been justified as a gift by God's grace. A gift. By the way, please turn to uh, just next chapter, chapter 4, verse 5. I want you to see this too. Who does God justify? God makes a special point of telling us in chapter 4, verse 5. This is one of my favorite verses. I, you know, I say that all the time. But this is particularly for those who would say, you've got to get your act together before you can be saved. Okay? But that's not what the Bible says. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. But to him, the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies who? The ungodly. Think about that. He justifies the ungodly. He doesn't justify the one who has repented of all their sins and promises to follow him and be obedient. That doesn't sound ungodly to me. I don't know about you. No, he justifies the ungodly person, sinner who believes. That's the one whose faith and faith alone is credited as righteousness. He justifies the ungodly. The ungodly. Or let me put it another way this morning. God justifies the fornicators, the idolaters, the adulterers, the effeminate, the homosexuals, the thieves, the covetous, the drunkards, and the revilers, and the swindlers. Any of those people who believe in Christ, as still ungodly, God justifies. Justifies. All right, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 again. Starting in verse 12. First Corinthians six twelve. All things are lawful for me. I'm going to think about this just for a minute. Paul has just gotten through this whole list of lifestyles that are ungodly. There's no other way of putting it. And then he says, "All things are lawful for me." It's almost as if he's saying. Well, you know, that's, that's the old list, but look at me. I can do whatever I want. By the way, that is not at all what he's saying. Does he say in verse 12, all behaviors are lawful for me? No. What does he say? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. They're not all useful in my Christian life. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I realize that there are some things out there that will tend to make me a slave. And I don't want anything to do with those. Food is for the stomach. Isn't that true? If you didn't have a stomach, how much food would you eat? None. Right? Food is for the stomach. And the stomach is for food. What is the stomach there for? For food. See how they just work together? Okay. But God will do away with both of them. In other words, there's nothing of lasting eternal value of food going in your belly and the belly saying, hmm, you know, it'll satisfy us for a day, but it has no real spiritual or, or eternal value. However, the body is not for immorality. You might think so, but actually the body belongs to the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but he will raise us up through his power. This is all a unit. And again, I just emphasize in verse 12, and I'll put it up here now. Paul says that all things are lawful for him. In other words, everything in God's creation. Now, for a Jewish man to say this is going somewhere, because if you remember, or if you know anything about the law, and the book of Leviticus in particular, there were all kinds of things that they couldn't eat. Right? But Paul is saying, no, that's, you know, that's not the case anymore. And Peter had to learn the same thing in the book of Acts. Why? Because you know what? No Jew would ever have witnessed to a Gentile as long as this kind of thinking was still in place. Because they were just as untouchable as, you know, seafood. All right? Now, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So what is he, all things he's talking about, like, Foods and drinks and things like that. But he, says, he doesn't say all kinds of behavior. All right, so get that out of your head. 
No. So he doesn't say adultery is lawful for me. He doesn't say theft is lawful for me. He says things are. He says the same thing in the, in the, in, in the letter of Colossians. When he talks about people that are going to want to put us under bondage again. To rules about eating. Rules about this. Rules about that. Rules about when you can worship. And all those other rules. He says that's gone. You know, we're under grace, not law. All kinds of behavior. But then he goes on and he says not all things are profitable. Not all things are really going to do anything for you. Right? And in particular, that which would enslave you is definitely not useful in your life. So, for example, let me give you an example. A deck of cards. I hope I'm not going to offend any Baptists out there today. But it's just something in God's creation, in and of by itself. It's 52 cards. Right? You can't say the deck of cards is evil. It's not. Well, it's lawful, but here's what is evil. Losing your house to paying off all your gambling debts. Now, that is not profitable. Can you see the difference? Can you see it's our behavior and not the thing itself that matters? Okay. That's his point. There are things which will be distractions, and that's it. Or will prove harmful to us. Or in any event, not contribute anything to the life God has called us to live. We are not to be taking those things. He even says in the book of Romans, and again in 1 Corinthians, that, you know what, all things are lawful to me, but if my my brother will stumble because of me making use of those things. I will never make use of them again. Because it's not profitable. It's not helping us get anywhere as brothers and sisters in Christ. He goes on in verse 14 and he illustrates what he just said. He talks about food. Now, I don't know about you, but you know about me. I think all kinds of food are delicious. I do. I love food. And my stomach needs food too often, if you ask me. But again, food isn't really food without a stomach to digest it. And you know what? Neither of them contributes anything, really, in the long run. I mean, yeah, we've got to eat to live and all of that. But God isn't up there looking and saying, oh, you ate that today. Wow, that's spiritual. Oh, he didn't eat that. He hasn't eaten in a week. Whew. Man, he's holy. No. See, that, that has no eternal value. Why? Because it doesn't contribute anything to the things unseen. It doesn't contribute anything to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It has no lasting or eternal significance. However, our body is a totally different story, which is why he says it's not for immorality. Your body is the Lord's. The body is the Lord's. The body is the Lord's. Do you not know? Because if you know that, if you really know that, if you really say, yeah, it is so true, I get it now, What are you going to do with that body? Who owns it? Not us. You're not the master of your own body. I can do whatever I want with my body. Wrong. Wrong. Why? Because I don't own it. The body is the Lord's. And we're going to see that the body, as a category, does have eternal and lasting value. That's why disrespecting it now says something about our attitude about what it will be, namely glorified. If we understood that someday we're going to have a glorified body, and even now God has seen fit to show us how to use it now, to His glory now, we would have a totally different viewpoint about how we use the body. It's His crowning creation after all, humans. When did did He talk about creation of human beings started? Remember when he went down to the ground, got the dust of the earth, and he made a body. And then he breathed life into it. All of that is holy to him. All of that is his crowning creation, including the body. Because you want to know something? A human being is not a human being without a body. That's why he'll emphasize later on in the letter of 1 Corinthians that Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead. His body came out of there. One day our bodies will be glorified. It's important to God. It belongs to God. Our bodies were originally glorious. The human race fell. Now our bodies are bodies of corruption. They're going to die and they're filled with sinful flesh. However, that's not the end of the story. Because there will be a day when he will make your body and mine glorious again. That's when he raises us up through his power. 
That's when he's going to be in the clouds and the dead shall, dead shall rise first and we who are alive will go up there with him. And as we're going to see at the end of 1 Corinthians, we will not all die, but all of us will be changed. We'll all have the body that Christ had when he was raised from the dead. It's glorious to God. And we should start seeing it now that way. A man who understands that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit inside day and night. Wherever I go. Right? I have Jesus Christ in me. What am I going to do with that body? It's a good question. The body is not for immorality. Think about it. Does immorality make our body glorious? Does it give glory to the Father who owns it? No. And to say that is not for the purpose of making any of us feel guilty. It's so that we will no longer be able to say, I do not know. Because you do know. No, all that does is to put the body of corruption, all right, the bad side of the body, the flesh, into the bondage. The bondage. I will not be mastered by anything. Well, you will be mastered by immorality. Write it down. Don't do it. And I know you did it, and you'll probably do it again, but this is God's ideal. That's the thing to understand. Yes, I may, I fall, but God's ideal is for my body to be glorious to him. And not only that, but the Lord is for the body. The Lord is for us, and he's for the body. And as a matter of fact, Christ dwells in us for the body, and we're indwelt by the Spirit for the body. It's all a piece. That's why our body is a temple. This is an audible. You know what an audible is? When the when scripture is not in my notes. <laughs> but I'd like you to turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go forward to 2 Corinthians 5. <laughs> not only does our body belong to the Lord... But he is there for our body, for the benefit of our body. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5, 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, that, by the way, is our body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We have another body. For indeed, in this house we groan. These bodies of corruption, the flesh that we're always dealing with, the spirit has to do war against. We're groaning now. We're longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, the resurrection body. Inasmuch as we, having put that on, will never be found naked again. For indeed, while we are in this tent, this body, we groan, being burdened. Because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in glory so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. What is mortal, the bodies we're in now. What is life, the body we will have. Verse 5, though, notice this. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose, what purpose? To one day have a glorious body. To understand that this tent we're in now is temporary. But God did something so that we would understand the value of the body now. What did he say? He said, now, he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. The Holy Spirit indwelling in our hearts is a pledge of the resurrection body we will have one day. It makes a statement. It makes a statement that the human body is to be glorious. It is to reflect the glory of God. And even though the body itself right now may not be that way, we can present our bodies to the Lord and He'll make it that way. Even now, our body is a temple. Not only that, our bodies are also members of Christ. Think about that. Your body is a member of Christ. So would you take a member of Christ? And bring it to a prostitute. So, you, so that would be one with a prostitute. Would you? If you were thinking straight? No, you wouldn't. That's his point here. He's saying, your body's a member of Christ. You're in the body of Christ now. In other words, his hands. You know, this is what he's going to talk about with the spiritual gifts. Some of us are the hands of Christ now. Some of us are the, the mouth of Christ to preach the word. Some of us are the eyes of Christ to see those who are in need or the ones that people don't want anything to do with. We really are the body of Christ, members of that body. 
Verse 15 again. Oh yeah, go back there now because I called an audible. 1 Corinthians 6.15. 1 Corinthians 6.15. Do you, here it is again, do you not know? These are the things that Paul is highlighting that he wants the, the Corinthians to focus on. He understands that if they keep just focusing on the things they're doing wrong, they're going to be tempted. That's what Paul says also in chapter 7. Remember, he said, once I learned that, that coveting was wrong, all I wanted to do was covet. That's right. Things, make, things get worse when we put ourselves under a decree and try to live up to it. That's not what he wants. What does he want? To know something. This will change it. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. And hopefully at this point they're like, whoa, I never looked at it that way. I, I wouldn't do that if I really believed that my body is literally a member of the body of Christ. I wouldn't. I may be weak, I may be tempted, but man, that is something that's amazing and I really don't want it. Now you may fall, but I really don't want to do that anymore. I want to have, I want to have His ideal for my body. Notice though what he does. Okay? Isn't it glorious, the truth, that our members are, are members of the body of Christ? That one day we'll receive a glorious resurrection body? And that the Spirit is dwelling in us now? In our bodies? Of course it is. What does he do though? To try to shock and wake up the Corinthians and if need be us to the, to the uh, absolute contradiction. He, he takes the subject of consorting with prostitutes. It's not something that I even like to talk about Okay, in, in the church. It sounds kind of like, what's the pastor doing talking about that? Well, what's Paul doing? What he's doing is he's taking that subject and he puts it right up, right in the face of the fact that our bodies are members of Christ. It's like the, the kid who wants to smoke cigarettes and then the father says, great, you want to smoke cigarettes? Here's a pack. I'm not going to let you leave the table until you smoke all 20. Right? Put it right up against the ideal. And then you're looking, oh man, that's terrible. I would never want to do that. Why does he do that? It's real simple. He only wants to get them to realize how wrong their behavior is. You know how that goes. If everybody's doing it and all of that, it doesn't seem wrong. It's harmless fun. But as soon as something comes into you and you say, I'm doing that, I don't want to do it anymore. It's disturbing, that image, isn't it? Isn't it see, seeing yourself as a member of the body of Christ and then seeing that you're taking a member of the body of Christ and making it one with a prostitute or, by the way, an adultery or any of the other things, it, you're going to say, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. That's wrong. And yes, get them to be ashamed of what they're doing. Not of themselves, but of what they're doing. The sin is shameful. I'm going to illustrate. This is from Saturday Night Live. We're going to get in trouble, Mark, for having that up, by the way. We're okay with that one, right? Okay. We, uh, never mind. Um, yeah, okay. So what do you think is going on in this picture? Catcalling. Thank you. Guys knew it right away. Yeah, it's catcalling, okay? And, you know, they're all getting together, and it's harmless fun. We're just having a good time and all of that, you know. Construction worker, he's on his break. He's just joining with his buddy. Somebody else started it. And they're catcalling a girl walking down the street until he realizes that that girl is his sister. <clears throat> can you feel that one? Guys, can you feel that one? And she turns around like, oh, my, that's my sister. Or even worse, that's my daughter. See how that one comes right up against the other? Now you realize that, you know what? That is somebody's sister. That is somebody's daughter. What the heck am I doing? See? Put it right up against it. That's what happens now when you understand your body is a member of Christ. And then you have your body become one with the woman you shouldn't be sleeping with. All right, let's keep reading here. We're almost done. 1 Corinthians 6, 16. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. There's something spiritual here. You've got to look at that. Because if you don't, you're going to be falling into all kinds of wickedness. When you realize 
That when you consort with a prostitute, man, you're taking a member of the body of Christ, making it one body with a prostitute. And I hope at that point you're realizing when you hear that, oh, no, I never saw it like that. That's a terrible thing I've been doing. I don't want to do that anymore. This happens a lot, by the way, when we take the Bible seriously. There's a lot of subjects that we need to have our mind changed about. And when we do, we look back at the behavior and said, I can't believe it. If I had seen that, I really wouldn't have done that. Now, you might fall, but it wouldn't be something that you feel is harmless and, hey, let's all do it and all that. We thought it was harmless fun, but not anymore. Why? Because God showed us what it really was. That's the purpose of much of the Bible, is to show you, not to condemn you. Romans 8 again. There is, no now, there is now no condemnation, right? But there is information. There is the need to change and have our minds renewed. That's how we see it the way he sees it. He teaches these things not to make us feel condemned and guilty. He teaches it so that we'll change our minds. Change our mind about the bad behavior. All we got to do to get started is see it the way he sees it. That'll help you change in a hurry. Do not be conformed, Romans again. Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me tell you something. That's Romans 12. I'm moving along. Sex between a husband and wife is good, acceptable, and perfect because it's God's perfect design. Likewise, Refraining from suing a brother is good and acceptable and perfect. All right, 1 Corinthians 6.18 and we'll close. What's the action that he asks here? Verse 18, what? Run. Run away. Like like David, uh, no, not David, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You know, I was seducing him and all of that. What did he do? I'm getting out of here. Flee. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. And there it is one more time. Do you not know? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God. And that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Once we know that our body is a member of the body of Christ and that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and we are not our own because we've been purchased by God with the blood of His Son, that changes things completely. And now the only reasonable thing to do when we're tempted by immorality is to flee. Don't even stay long enough to smell the perfume. Flee. And what's the positive solution? Glorify God in your body. See, when you're busy thinking about how to glorify God in your body, thinking about who God wants you to be, who he's making you to be, when you're there with your thinking, it'll pull you away, right? Walk by means of the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. So what are we focusing on? Walking by means of the Spirit. Glorifying God in our body. That's the solution to doing the things that we're not supposed to do. The right thing, I'm going to close with this. The right thing to do, think about it. You've been given somebody else's possession. And he's saying, here, take good care of it. Well, our body is God's possession. And he's given to us and he said, take good care to it. What does it mean about taking good care? What does it mean to glorify God in our bodies? It means this. And this is going to be the end. To become a reflection of God's glory. But let me take it, that sounds a little, you know, like ephemeral and I don't understand it. But let me make it, bring it down to earth. It means to make your body become a reflection of his goodness, of his righteousness that he's credited you with and his love. If you're doing something with your body out of love, I don't mean romance, I don't mean lust, but I mean love. When you do that, you will be reflecting who God is. And that's what he wants to see for his possession. All right. And he, by the way, I just want to thing. He doesn't expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be heading that way. And he will take care of the perfect part. He himself will perfect us. All right. Let's close. Father, we want to thank you again today for...
the good news of Your Son's death and resurrection. We want to thank You today, Father, that when we're tempted to just go in the wrong direction, that through Your Word You lift us up, You tell us who we are, and set us on the right path again. It's through Your Word and through having our mind renewed. Help us not to, help us to not forget that. And Father, we also ask today that You would take care of those who are in, in, in need or grieving, who are persecuted or suffering as members of the body of Christ. And help us to be, like Your Word says, to be crying when they cry and laughing when they laugh. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Next service, just as a reminder, this Thursday, June 20th, Bible study at 7. Bible study at 7. Hope you all can join us. Just quickly on our giving policy, we don't have guys in the back with plates right now. So don't worry. No, our policy is grace, which means that freely you have received, freely you give. When God has blessed you with the, with the finances to be able to do so, and you freely, cheerfully desire to support the preaching on the Word of God, then that's the time to give. Okay? You can do that. We have a box in the back, and you can do it online. All right. Again, one more time, prayer requests. We really want to pray for who or what you want us to pray for. So get it to us either on our website or in the box in the foyer. And just remember, we're all called to preach the gospel. And maybe some here today are called to hear the gospel. And the gospel is straightforward. God's Son became flesh And he went to the cross. He died there for our sins. He was buried. And then on the third day, he was raised from the dead. Whoever believes that will never perish, but has eternal life. Let's close in prayer. Father, once again, we thank you. This time, we want to just thank you for the gospel and the gift of prayer. And we would ask, Father, as we leave today, that that we will have our minds renewed from what we've learned. And that it will Cause us to move in the direction of glorifying you and away from the direction of our lusts and of our flesh. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'll be up here now. If there are any questions that you have about the message today, really anything else, um, I'll be available for a little bit of time for you to come on up. All right, you're dismissed. Enjoy the day. Hope it's not raining much longer. Mm -hmm.